This is Coach Your Brains Out presented by Gold Medal Squared. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. All right, today on the show, we're happy to have a chance to talk with Stein Metzger. Stein's an Olympian, AVP and FIVB champion, and has now led his UCLA team to back-to-back NCAA titles. Stein, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Congrats on another impressive season. How's it feel to repeat? Uh, feels great. It's definitely definitely a different feeling than last year. Um, but certainly we knew it was going to be challenging and difficult to repeat. Everyone kept telling us, and we were thinking that it's harder to do it twice in a row, especially as teams continue to get better and better. Um, and that was true. Uh, it was certainly challenging near the end, but uh, made it that much sweeter. Nice. And speaking of repeating, we wanted to get into the topic of empire building. Uh, you've built quite a dynasty at UCLA, um, and it wasn't that way when you first took over the program. What were some of your initial steps when you that you took to build this foundation? Well, getting some courts on campus made a big difference. I remember when we first started the program seven years ago, we had to drive down to the beach um, and to get down there you know, five days a week was, was challenging with everyone's school schedule. So we were only going down there three days a week using just the, the indoor team, uh, and doing, and playing only eight competitions, the minimum that, that, uh, are required. Uh, and, um, it's, we've come a long way in, in seven years. Uh, but I think some of the initial steps were getting courts on campus, allowing us to, to essentially double, maybe even triple the amount of practice time that we could have, um, and then getting beach only athletes, uh, a lot of the same growing pains that, that teams go through now when they add the sport, um, at an institution. Uh, and then, and then beyond that, it was, then it was time to kind of implement, you know, some of our program theory and, and learning how to be coaches. And, uh, Jenny and I, uh, have been here basically since the beginning. Uh, we had a couple other coaches initially, but it's basically been Jenny and me building this thing. And uh, we had to learn how to go from being athletes to being coaches, which is very different. It's not easy to make the transition and uh, lucky enough to be surrounded by a lot of great coaches here at UCLA that mentored us and educated us and, and also, you know, just uh, hitting some speed bumps and learning from it along the way. Uh, I think that those are some of our some of our uh, big, big moments in terms of growing this program. So I kind of want to hit on follow up on both those. The, the first one being. How do you convince your administration when they say, well, the beach is right there and it's free. Why don't you go there? How do you convince them to build courts on campus? Uh, well, that's a good question. I don't know if I can answer that. I, I know that our administration from the get-go was was um, uh, adamant that having something on campus was better for the student-athlete experience. Uh, it was just a matter of you know going through the bureaucracy of, of getting things passed and you know finding the funding to do it and making it happen. Uh, and we were fortunate to have some people come in with some, with some generous donations to help us build our first, our first set of courts, which, um, you know, we quickly outgrew as we learned more about the size of programs and things were evolving in the sport. Um, and now we're, now we're happy to say that we're breaking ground on, on a new facility. We're going to demo what we had existing and, and expand it from two to four, um, that starts here in August. So I, I don't know how, how to answer that um, I, other than, 
you know, uh, it was important for us to maximize the amount of time we could spend with the athletes training and learning. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all just getting out there and, and learning from each other uh, and putting in the hours and the reps. And so when we did the math, uh, we noticed that we, we literally du- more than doubled the amount of hours that we could spend on the court if we got courts on campus. And so that was a big number and a, and a big selling point. Everyone was behind it, and it didn't take too long to get courts on campus. So you're expanding the empire with a bigger uh, bigger footprint now with more courts. Pretty cool. And then yeah. so you, me- you mentioned um, – mentors what were some of the big keys you learned from from some of the mentors making that transition from player to coach um in fact i was talking about this just today with jeremy casebeer who's been who's uh been helping me coach some some juniors um it what i learned was it's not necessarily uh what you tell the athletes because i think from after playing for for decades you have a lot of information to share it's what you don't tell them. So how do you how do you pare it down to the essentials and and the thing that really matters at the moment? Um, and, and in terms of mentors, you know, I'm super lucky to be. My door is right across the hall from from John Spira, the men's national team coach. Uh, we have Adam Wright. That's two doors down. That's one. I think he I think he's behind like three or four championships with uh, men's and now women's water polo as well. Uh, I started here with coach Seely. Um, he's two doors down the other way in the hall in our suite around here. So we have, a, we have a lot of, uh, uh, great coaches and people that have been doing it longer than me and smarter than me that are down the hall that have, that have given me nuggets here and there. In fact, when John gets on the phone over there, I, I usually, uh, open my door up and, and listen in and learn, <laughs> learn from him because <laughs> awesome. he's the master. Yeah, he is. Um, so I guess to follow up on that, how do you know what's important? How do you pare down what matters? Like if you see a, a player taking an approach and hitting and you think of 10 things you can say, I guess, how do you know what's the, the big important stuff? Uh, I guess from, from being a great observer. I learned that from Sean Fallowfield, who was with us for three years, uh, that being a great coach often means just being a great observer and really learning uh, each individual player, you guys know as players, like w- one set of technique doesn't always isn't always a great fit for all players. Um, so really knowing our athletes, knowing what feedback they're capable of taking, um, and also knowing exactly you know what's gonna what's gonna help them the most at the right time. And I, I know I mess it up constantly, but it's something that I certainly have learned and really try to focus in on. You know, speaking less watching more, observing, um, and trying to find the right thing to say. I think Jenny is great at it. Um, she doesn't, she doesn't overcoach. That's another way of putting it. She doesn't overcoach. She, she really watches and observes, takes her time. And then when she does speak, it's a really poignant fact. And, and I think she has, a, I know she has a lot of influence with our team and, and they listen when she speaks. That's a great message for, uh, for coaches and a hard one to do for sure. When you have so much you want to help, help people with, it's hard to hold it in, but it's, a uh, good lesson for sure. Uh, I think, I think it has a lot to do with kind of your security and your, in your, uh, in your coaching career as well. I know initially, like I wanted to do well. So I really wanted to do well and I felt a little insecure about what I was doing. And so it was just about throwing a ton of information out there mm. to kind of prove that I knew something when really sitting back and not talking was, was the thing that was going to be best for the athlete. That makes sense. 
So you, um, when I, I look at your recruiting classes, uh, I think you've probably had the best one this year. In the next couple of years, you have the best years. What, what do you think separated you as a recruiter? Um, I, I probably wore out my beach chair more than others, to be honest. <laughs> I did a lot, spent a lot of time um, at tournaments, watching, uh, paying attention. And then uh, I, I think one of the obvious things that UCLA is a, a pretty easy place to recruit to especially here in California. It's got a great reputation. It's the, it's the most supplied to school across the country for 15 years. So obviously it's got a lot to um, attract people to. Um, and so that makes it a lot easier when, when we go out and ask athletes if they want to be a part of it. And when you're recruiting, are there certain qualities or that you value or seek out in the recruiting process that maybe set you, sets you apart from another recruiter? Well, I, I think you could certainly take a look at uh, our current team this last year. And the first thing you'll notice uh, is the, the average height. We're the smallest team of the top five teams in the country. Mm. Uh, but we also have – they're pretty polished and they have great ball control. So I know, I know for a fact when I go and recruit, I'm just a sucker for someone that, that understands the game, has great ball control, uh, has great court sense, communicates well. Uh, treats their partner well uh, and understands the game at a, at a at a high level, and so what that what that led to is finding athletes that that were not necessarily the prototypical height. We have we have a lot of kids that are five nine, but move really well. They're really fast, um, and so we we designed our style of play around that type of. Um, and you know, two three years ago, we knew we were getting smaller athletes. And I just, I just kept asking myself, you know, my, are we doing this right? Am I making a mistake, you know, going after the smaller kid that's faster, uh, and, 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 and very athletic. Um, and we said, well, in two or three years, we'll find out, we'll see how this all pans out because these other teams are getting bigger and stronger. And, um, certainly it, it worked out for us in the end, but it, it was important at least this year for those that followed it, um, having a little wind pipe up at the end uh, at nationals against against usc who's extremely tall and, and um and had some great blockers i think having that win pick up in the final helped us a bunch so you would have recruited yeah. john little john mayer <laughs> yeah exactly no uh so the outside of ball control what would you say were other strengths of your your team this year certainly our team would point to the connection between them uh, the, the culture over the last four years has gotten a lot better uh, at UCLA, it's, and it's, I, it's in a really great place. Uh, it was in a really great place with these five seniors we had who were here in the last four years building it. And, and they would say that the connection that they had with each other and the trust they have of each other and the commitment they had to each other was really what paid off for us in the end, especially after being you know, challenged and having our, conference, our confidence waver after losing to USC three times in a row at the end of the season, um, the the ability to stick together, trust in each other, be able to have you know lean on each other and have have conversations about their confidence and be able be vulnerable with each other and uh, I think that was critical in us finding ourselves again in the short week between losing back to back at Pac-12 championships and then being able to find our composure and make it through a very tough NCAA tourney. Uh, Stein, can you take us through a typical UCLA practice? 
Uh, sure. Uh, it changes. Um, I, I found that it changes quite a bit. Uh, two years ago, during our fall segment, which is the out-of-season segment or preseason, we did a lot of skill-based training, um, some block training, really trying to teach our technique, trying to get our athletes to understand what we thought would work best for us program-wide, even though we did some individual adjustments with some. Um, and so that looked very different from practices that we would have as we got closer to the season in January and then leading into February, February where we, we would do a lot of uh, live stuff, situational stuff, uh, where athletes have to make a decision on a very first play and we would we would come up, you know, with a scenario, you know, if there's a cut shot and, you know, how you would respond to it and how you would play it out um, or um, uh, working on what we call a TLC, which is which is turn look, turn look and call um, or giving some tender love and care to your partner. Uh, and so setting up that first initial opportunity to take a look, make a call for your partner, maybe in an out of system. A scenario or situation and then letting the team play it out from there and go live from there. So this last year, even through the fall, we decided we, we had these, these great seniors who are pretty well-versed in technique. We didn't feel, we felt like they had a, a good background in their technique uh, and they're ready to do more live stuff early on. And we had a great freshman recruiting class that came in and I didn't want to miss an opportunity for, those five freshmen to play against these play against and with these seniors as much as possible to kind of, you know, start building, building from the ground up again, as this new class came in. So this fall, we actually did a lot of live stuff right out of the gates. Um, and again, a lot of situational stuff, a lot of opportunities for athletes to make those split second decisions uh, and just be able to become, um, more automatic with those with those decisions to make high percentage uh, high percentage decisions right you know in a split second and then and then move on to just playing live and we also did a lot of uh, I think we did about five or six days where we would bring in referees to do just live game days once once a week uh, and again just give uh, our new athletes a, a lot of opportunity to learn not necessarily from coaches, but from the seniors who, you know, are pretty spectacular. We have, there's four of them that are four of the five are going to play pro now. Um, so we didn't want to miss that opportunity for them to, to play a ton of games against those, those seniors. Yeah. And I'm sure the senior leadership helped a lot uh, throughout the season, but one thing kind of as an observer that stood out to me was that you guys would have injuries to your starting lineup and you could plug someone in, and it didn't seem like that team lost the beat. I was wondering what you think led to that success. Are you able to do that so often? Uh, well, I think if, if there's one thing that we did great, um, we may not have had the best team at the ones in the country or the best team at the twos in the country or the threes or the fours or the fives, but I feel like collectively we were the deepest team in the country, uh, and we even had people that were – as you say, that were weren't in the starting five teams that could come off the come off the bench and and fill in pretty seamlessly. And so I think that was a big strength of our team. Um, and we built that through you know recruiting some some great athletes. 
Um, and then I think uh, uh, the way we could survive that, because that's kind of, it, it's that there's an opportunity there for things to go sideways culturally. You know, when you have all American kids come in and, and not getting an opportunity to play or not play very much and be sitting on the bench. Uh, it was important that we had a really strong culture and people believed in, in the journey and what we were doing and really just just uh, believe more in the process and the learning that then the opportunity to learn every day in practice than actually like, you know, how many how many starts am I going to get at what what spot do I get to play at? I'm playing at the fours right now. I, I should be playing at the twos. Stuff that we had dealt with, you know, in the past, um, but had gotten a lot better in terms of uh, our team and how they perceived value with being with our team. Um, and so that's something that we've worked on over the last, you know, four or five years. And I think without that, um, uh, that could have been trouble. In fact, I, we... we identified a couple of challenges that we were going to have before this season started. And that was one of the big ones. Uh, and we called it having a bottleneck of talent uh, just because we had this big senior class. And then we had f four of our five freshmen coming in, a, a big recruiting class come in and four of them were, were high school all Americans. And so we thought that might be a challenge for us this year, but I think the freshmen bought in right away, understanding like, Hey, you know, these seniors are, these are some amazing players right now, and <clears throat> I'm going to find value in the opportunity to, to, to compete against and with them every single day in practice, when really we only get 16 competition dates. So, you know, you could, you could think the grass is greener on the other side, but if, if, if they were at another, if they decided to go to another institution and where they knew they would get to start, they'd get 16 days of great competition, maybe not as much competition every day in practice, which you get 132 days to to practice in a year. And so I think they bought into that early on, like, Hey, you know, we get to do this every single day. Practice is my game day. And you know what? I'm going to get my opportunity soon. Um, and they did a great job with that, with, with embracing that message. And, uh, I think that they're going to, they're going to be stronger for it. And I, I know they had a, they had a great experience and, uh, they're, they're going to get their opportunity soon. Yeah, it sounds like a really great way to frame it. And I'm, I'm guessing you must have framed it that way to them often to get them to buy into it. But I could see how that, that could have easily been a challenge and a big issue. Uh, but without your probably constant conversations, you're not getting them to buy in that way. So it's uh, really cool to, to hear about. Um, I know at the, uh, the Pac-12 championships, and you mentioned you had lost, I think, before the Pac-12 championships to USC, and then you lost to them twice. Um, and then you had to play, what, four or five days later, um, at Gulf Shores and, you know, for a chance to play for a national championship. Mm -hmm. How do you rebound and how do you prepare for, you know, after that kind of devastating, those two devastating losses? Uh, to be honest, I, I have no idea how. <laughs> we were learning as we went because uh, we, we'd never been in a situation until this year of being the number one team and having a target on our back mm -hmm. uh, and, and having to wear that, which certainly we knew was going to be challenging. Um, and it was. Um, and we were definitely rattled after, uh, losing three times in a row to USC. I could see it in their eyes. I think we all felt it. Um, and really it was, it was, it was a challenge to kind of find ourselves again and remember all, all the things that we had done before those losses, uh, the great matches we had had, um, the fact that, you know, we were still a good team. It was just a matter of trusting that we could do it at the right time. 
Uh, and it took it took basically every hour we had from losing the Pac-12 championships on Sunday or on Saturday the week before until um, when, in fact, we started the NCAA tournament. Because even at that point, uh, the first day or two, I still felt like the team in general was a little a, a little shaky in terms of their confidence. Um, so I don't have any perfect answer. Um, we, each day we were just kind of getting a pulse on the team and having a lot of conversation with our leaders and, and, and wondering, you know, cause we only see a, a fraction of, of the conversations that they're having. They're having a lot of conversations with each other. And so, you know, having those little touch points and people that, that, um, you know, trust us and, uh, uh, um, liaisons, as you will, as you will, leaders that that understand, hey, kind of getting a pulse of the team and where they're at and what they're feeling, and and hearing that you know the confidence was wavering, and then just each day, just like having a message that hopefully we was hopefully working. And at one point, you know, we lost uh, Leah Monkhouse after the first day because of dehydration, and Maddie Yeomans came in. I mean, that was another place where hey, we trusted in Maddie. Uh, but this is a different squad that had been getting all those wins um, during the season and, and what, what was going to happen there. So at that point, um, uh, there's just a lot of stress and pressure after training an entire year for, for one weekend. And so yeah. the message that we gave at that point was was more of a, a minimizing one. Just, hey, you guys, at the end of the day, this is just a game of volleyball. We call it playing volleyball, not winning and losing volleyball. And um, we just... Every time we had a moment to kind of grab the team and, and just give a message and, and try to take some of the pressure off them and get them to enjoy the game again and have fun with their partner and recognize, especially for the seniors, like, hey, this is your guys' last chance to compete together. And this is a special squad and you guys really connect well with each other and love each other. Let's let's just forget about all this noise and hoopla and just stay connected with each other um, and enjoy the moment. And um I knew if we could get through the first couple of matches, uh, we started against Hawaii and then we played Florida state. If we could get through that first day um, and, and win those two matches that their confidence would start to come creeping back in. And that, that's exactly what happened. Cool. And I guess after looking at the, the last two seasons, is it harder to get to the top or to stay on top? Oh, I, uh, I don't know. I guess it's I guess it's case by case, but certainly it was a long slog to to get from where we were to um, uh, you know four or five years ago to where we we're in the last two years. There's a lot of great teams, and and what makes it so hard is that everyone's getting better at the same time. Um, and so you look at practice in the fall, and Johnny, you can probably attest to this. You'll look in the fall, and you're like our team is twice as good as they were last year. But then you're thinking, but so is everyone else for sure. Like the whole environment and the whole, the whole uh, collegiate beach volleyball community is just growing and getting better and learning so fast. Um, and I, then I guess the same goes for, you know, staying at, staying at the top. I think a lot of it has to do with some recruiting fluctuations. You know, you, you get a great class and that class starts to mature and that happened with us. Uh, then you know that you have your you have your little spot for a year or two where you're going to have a great opportunity to win or do well or or, or get better as a squad. Um, and then and then you know you may lose that squad. Like for example, we lose five seniors, and so you kind of identify these classes that are coming through and recognizing you know your opportunity well out in the future. And then 
for to some degree that makes it even more stressful because you're like, hey, this might be our last opportunity for a while to have a great season. We want to make the most of it. Um, so, you know, growing's hard, staying there's hard. You guys know that. Um, but I really think it has to do with a lot of these fluctuations with, with recruiting classes. Mm, yeah. And what advice do you have for young players who want to play at the collegiate beach level? Um, play a lot of volleyball. Mm. <laughs> I think it, on the it's, baby court. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it, it, if you love it and you enjoy it and you're passionate about it, you know, putting in the hours doesn't feel like work. It's just fun. And next thing you know, you find yourself there. But uh, certainly, uh, young athletes today have uh there's a their challenge is kind of making decisions on you know where their opportunity might be and how long they're going to play multiple sports and how, when are they going to focus on one sport or another sport or one discipline being indoors as opposed to the other discipline beach and it's those aren't easy decisions and uh i'm personally happy that you know that uh uh, the legislation that that's happening these days around recruiting is trying to slow down the recruiting process and giving athletes more time to just enjoy the game and have fun. And as John says, play more baby court. Yeah. I agree. Do you think uh, girls settle on beach only too soon or do you like seeing both indoor and beach players? Um, I like athletes that have, have played or do play uh, indoor, at least high school. The reason being um, beach volleyball in college is a team sport. And so you do have to think about others and make sacrifices for others. And um, you, you don't always get to do what you want to do for the sake of the, the, the team. And that's a hard lesson to learn if you've never been on a team sport and you've only been an individual sport, which is what I would say beach volleyball is outside of college. So I do like the fact that that um, athletes who understand the team concept come in ready to buy in. Um, at the same time, I think indoor volleyball has become such a, a, a huge, um, um, such a huge beast that athletes are asked to play year round except for you know maybe three or four weeks in july so it's definitely challenging when i talk to to uh young prospective student athletes about uh you know what their plans are going to be what they want their journey to look like they oftentimes you know they feel like they still want to play indoor but it really doesn't give them the space to spend a good chunk of their time playing beach and I find like even athletes who know that beach volleyball in college is where they want to head to, uh, they're still only spending 20 to 30 percent of their actual volleyball time playing beach. And the rest of the time is being filled with indoor. And that's a that's a tough paradigm to, to shift. Um, but it's I think it's starting to happen more and more where where indoor coaches are being more generous with with time and allowing athletes to spend more time with beach and, and uh, go after what they're passionate about while still giving them an opportunity to, to be a part of, to be a part of the team and still play some indoor. That was part one with Stein Metzger. Join us next week for part two and to become a patron of the show, visit patreon.com slash coach your brains out. We appreciate it. <laughs>